Right, welcome to the Success and Happiness podcast. I'm talking to Darren Checkley, and I've known Darren for over 20 years, ever since I came to the country on my, on my little dinghy um, <laughs> from Zimbabwe. It's a long ride. Um, so the one thing I, um, I've always really uh, found really interesting and really liked about Darren is that um, he's not he's not motivated by money, and uh, I know I'm, I've always been motivated by money and I've pushed myself really hard to try and, you know, achieve things and that sort of thing all the time, both sport and, and, um, and business. Um, and Darren's kind of just really happy. Like we do, I, we've done Ironman together and, and I'm like trying to go as fast as I can and you just like just want to get to the finish, basically. Yeah. So, what I said to somebody once to know that, that I'm not a competitive Ironman, I'm a competitive yeah. time and just yeah. get to the end and just enjoy it yeah and uh, they found that quite strange that it's just about going and doing the experience <laughs> so i really like that difference you know and 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 like your philosophy i guess or how you do things and that sort of thing so that's why i wanted to talk to you um and just get your perspective i guess on success and happiness um and um so what does drive you? And, and obviously you've had quite a big event in your life, which a lot of people do, which basically is kids. So um, so pre-kids, what what drove you? I do, I do, as I've just said, I, I asked Fran what drives me to try and work out whether that's the same thing that I thought. And our answers were sort of the same in the sense that I'm just happy to be, so I'm not aiming, striving for something in the future. I sort of, to use the modern terms, I live in the now mm. without much thought of the future, which drives some of my friends insane because they're always thinking, especially at the age that we are, well, you need to have a pension, you need to have done this, you need to have that ready, you need to have these investments in place. And I'm like, well, they were just all sort of, work out um and i guess at the moment it has all just worked out so i haven't my evidence for me is you don't have to have a drive to get somewhere but it will all work out and as long as you're happy you're happy you don't yeah. need a thing to be happy i don't know where that's from whether i was quite poor growing up so we didn't there was never anything about having a set career or being driven towards owning a house or having a certain amount of money in the bank. It was, we get to Friday and then we can have a chip shop or a Chinese. Um, but it was just about, let's get to Friday, but not at the expense of, oh no, it's Monday. Yeah. No one ever, no one ever hated going to work. And my dad just had a, he was a, a lorry driver and a coach driver. My mum was a cleaner at the hospital. So they didn't have careers where they were aiming to go for. Did you, so, did you ever think you weren't going to get to Friday? Like living, well, only because of my chosen pursuits. <laughs> um, but no, it was always, it was just at the weekend and they could be, do the stuff that they wanted to do, which yeah. then essentially meant that I was given free reign to go and do whatever I wanted to do. Which I guess is still part of what I do now. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's interesting because there's two things in that. The first thing is about like the whole pension and that sort of thing. And and that kind of, that worried me about you as well because I was like, you kind of need to, you know, you're working now and everything else, but then when that, you know, when you can't work anymore, it's like, you know. And then the other thing which I find really interesting is about living in the now because I think like, very few people live in the now. It's, it's, and for me, definitely when I was younger, it was, it was, every, everything was essentially on hold for the future. Like, I'm going to work really hard now. Um, you know, I'm going to work 90 hours. I'm going to, I'm going to sacrifice this and not do this and all the rest of it. And then one day, you know, one day will come eventually and I'll be able to do all this stuff. Uh, and reality is one day never actually comes. And then you need to start doing the stuff. Yeah. Well, so, you get to the day. And your body doesn't do the stuff that you want to be well, able to do. Well, that's the other thing. So, yeah, that's something else I think we've seen, and especially in, in sport, is that I think the, the 40 to 45 age group is like the most competitive because people have been working a long time and then they've got enough money to buy a really nice bike and they've got enough, you know, and they've got a bit more time on their hands and that sort of thing. They've kind of reached that age and they're going like, I'm going to do something for myself. I'm going to train and do an Ironman or cycling or whatever it happens to be. So that mm. tends to be the most competitive age group, which is... And then they're at the bottom of a hill on a really expensive bike. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, it's not a bad bike. <laughs> well, they're really <laughs> overweight going... Yeah. yeah, they've got all the gear and no idea. Yeah, really overweight and their wheels are straining. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, living in the mouths, um, yeah, that's a real kind of something that people need to strive for, I think. Yeah, uh, but I think it's something that I don't know whatever colours of the spectrum I've got or concentration issues. It's something that I've never strived to do. It's just been how I am. Mm. So I've never, So when it got trendy that people were, were trying to live in the moment, I didn't really understand it because, and I've done, as you know, done lots in personal development and coaching, etc. But I never really understood people that, it was all of a sudden trendy to have a work-life balance when I've doing. always worked to yeah. have a life. And I, but I guess the career that I've got as well gave me insights when I sort of finished my degree and started working in personal training. And it was, I quite quickly got into corrective exercise and helping people overcome injuries that were preventing them doing the things that they wanted to do. And then the nature of the club that I worked at, I was working with quite wealthy people who had the resources to do stuff, but didn't have the physicality to do stuff. So I don't know whether just my background in general helped with that, but then working with some of the clients that I've worked with over the years and seeing how they've had the, the outward signs of success but not being able to use the inward signs of success, like how your body's worked. And they've been in seriously poor health. I remember one guy who was very, very uh, successful, but he, when we sat down and discussed what he wanted to be able to achieve, the cardio area of the gym was up a flight of stairs. He wanted to be able to get up the stairs in the same way that I did that was his barometer for success. He just wanted to be able to run up the stairs without feeling like he was going to die. 
where at that point he could get up the stairs in, in one go, but didn't feel good at the top. So he always seen it that I always used to be at the bottom and then bound my way up two or three stairs at a time. And it wasn't something that I'd ever considered as a goal worthy yeah. because it was just what I did. And I think with that, outwardly, he had a very successful business, but part of that was he was eating out with clients at lunch and in the evening drinking lots of wine. His body showed those signs of, yeah. of success. He truly wanted to be able to move freely. Was he unhappy then because of that? I think so. We'd never, back then I wasn't emotionally developed enough, I think, to discuss whether he was happy with who he was and how he was. But looking back with hindsight, I don't think so. I don't think he was particularly happy because it was simple things that he wanted to be able to do. When we then, he could go upstairs. It was always about easy life stuff rather than he could achieve anything he wanted in business. But yeah. he couldn't control. And, and that's very much like body. what this podcast is about and, and very much like how I'm seeing stuff now. It's about that completeness of everything. So it's, you know, it's family, it's um, relationship with your partner, it's, um, you know, kids, it's um, your business, it's, it's nature, it's, you know, it's all of that and, and making that sort of, making a complete person really. Yeah. And I think that's, to me, that's what, that's what happiness is, is, is having all of that. Yeah. And then, and having, I guess it depends where you put your, your sort of bar for happiness as well. Like if you think when I get to this weight, I'm going to be happy, or if I get to this salary, I'm going to be happy, or if I get to this, I'm going to be happy. You're not really understanding happiness. No. It's been, I guess, like somebody... Uh, again, one of my very business-wise successful clients uh, said that the the thing he appreciated about me and my outlook the most was I was content. Yeah. So whatever I've got, I'm happy with. And I, I like shiny, think, nice things. You think content is happiness? I think so, because then I'm not worried. I, I'm not unhappy if I have the same car for 10 years. Mm. And actually, I see it as quite a challenge that I'm seeing how many miles I can get on the car. Like the truck had nearly 300,000 miles before that went. My Golf previously had 222,222 before I was prepared to let it go because I wanted to get... So I guess little challenges in my head that I set rather than I need to have a brand new car to be happy or to look successful. I remember in my days as a head personal trainer, I had a, a clapped Audi Gold. It was an amazing car that I think my, my sister gave me when she was changing her car. But it was, even back then, it was 20 years old. But it was a bit like a pimpermobile. And it was while I was between cars, I was waiting to get my, what would have been considered an appropriate car, according to this guy. But one of the guys at the gym was like, your head personal trainer, you should drive a better car than that. I was like, but it's, Audi Gold, and it, I looked like a pimp. It's amazing, <laughs> and it was just an old trash Audi 80, but it was fun to drive. And I wasn't worried about having my status in my role wasn't down to the material things that I had. You it see, I, I've to... seen 
that sort of thing before when 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 I was probably you know a couple of years ago and, and obviously starting my business and there was something about let's say you're a consultant or something like that or you know like you say um, gym manager and you rock up to see a client now you can either rock up in a really nice expensive car or you can write rock up in some beaten old thing and that that gives an impression so if you've got a beaten up old thing then you you're perceived as not successful yeah if you're in a brand new mercedes then you're perceived as too successful and basically he's like well i'm paying for that that's yeah. where all the fees are going so yeah that that's something i've come across in the past that's how people perceive yeah and it was his it was his perception of what car i should drive to be a head mm. personal trainer and i did then get a golf gti and i said it was an, an in-between car um and I was offered sponsorship cars where I could have had little sporty things because I trained some sales directors of, of car companies. Uh, but I didn't, it wasn't what I wanted. Then the main way I did turn down a, a really nice car. I had it for a, a week because it didn't fit my bags in the booth. And that was enough. So I didn't really, it would have been really cool and it would have been a free car. But it didn't fit my bag in the booth. Uh, so well, it well, wasn't something is, for me. What I find as well is that people, well, I will, I find myself doing this is that you judge people like that, going, oh, you know, that's the car you have, or, or how they look, or how they dress, or whatever, until you get to know them. And when you know them, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter what they wear, it doesn't matter what car they drive, none of that matters because now you know them as a person and you're not judging them based on yeah. Western ideas. Yeah, and definitely. And then it's the this side of that is like sticking with cars. I've got some clients with amazing cars and their preferred car isn't the one that you'd pick mm-hmm. as the amazing car. The car they drive the most isn't the super sports car or the super luxury car. And that's across the board. That's I'm thinking of a particular client, but across the board, mm-hmm. they all prefer their cars. They just get them around. Yeah. And they do the things that they do. And looking at them, they've got the bits that make them successful on the cars. Mm. And turning up in a, a set car can give the right impression. But like you said, it can also give the wrong impression yeah. of why they're doing that. And then I think, I mean, it was probably Fran that made me realise as well, because I didn't take any time off in my early stage, because I didn't want, I didn't need to. I had weekends with my mates. Um, before I was dating Fran, we'd go away quite a lot. I didn't really need a holiday because I really love, and I still really love my job. But Fran made me appreciate the fact that, so now I'd see a car payment if I had to pay three or four hundred pound a month to have a nicer car, that, well, for four hundred pound, if I have two of those, I can have a week in Newquay and be on the beach for a week. So I'm not and driven by foreign holiday, and I'd yeah. rather have that time away and enjoy that. And that even before the kids, we'd choose to have a time away over having something new. Like, well, let's go to the beach for a week, and we'd be on the beach with the dogs every morning. At, well, they got up early as well, um, so we'd be on the beach early in the morning with the dogs, and in the afternoon with the dogs, and then go and have some food and. So that sort of thing, the I guess the experience of life, meeting Fran, became more important. Before that, it was just about having a party. 
so, I've been so a party. So there's something that, that comes up for me on that and, and about going away and, and experiencing, which I think is really important. And this probably doesn't apply to you, but I think to a lot of people, they go away on an amazing holiday and they might spend a fortune on it and they go away for a week or two weeks and, you know, everything's amazing, have the best time of their life, come back and after a week, couldn't even tell you when they went on holiday. Yeah, completely not appreciating the fact that they've been on this yeah. once-in-a-lifetime experience. But I think that's the... You should have once in a lifetime experiences. If if that's what you enjoy, yeah, find a way to make it work more often. Yeah. I'm quite happy having a a week in Cornwall, getting fish and chips by the beach and just chilling out by the sea. I don't. We don't need. We've we've had big holidays, uh, but it was about the people we were with ultimately rather than the destination. It's also about lifestyle because for me, I'd much rather have. I'd much rather have lots of long weekends that we go away and do something nice lots of those as a lifestyle choice rather than having you know a two week one two week holiday a year where yeah. you spend all your money and you okay you have an amazing time but then it's done and dusted and i think that might be the way western work roles have worked mm. out though so the five day week and then you've got a set amount of days to take off yeah people choose to take them off in a block chunk, yeah. rather than like I said having a lifestyle where you have a four day week every other week and go away for a weekend yeah. and Fran like again we've always been able to choose our hours hours even so we've been able to do that and before we had the kids we'd go away to Wales and go walking for the weekend and just being in the mountains I think appreciating nature has always been something that we've done together so being out in the mountains being on the beach and it doesn't matter which mountain or which beach, and you can get as much enjoyment out being on. We've been up Snowden a few times together. I'm not sure whether we've ever seen a view together when we've been no, on. I don't think I have actually. No, even no. the last time I went up, it was. Whereas I've been up Snowden enough times, that I've had some amazing views up there. But equally, I've had just as good a time if there haven't been any views because it's a. I get to be cheesy coach. It. It's about the journey of getting to the top and then doing that and the challenge of what you're doing and. When we've been up, we've had various <laughs> hypothermia issues. But um, so do you get a lot of? I think for you, you get a lot out of helping people. Yeah, when especially when I was talking to Fran about me. this, <laughs> yeah, always you, uh, Fran. When we were talking about what drives me, or especially because it's not about finance, and obviously I do need to have money and earn money. But it's more for me about helping people. And we're going through some work with psychologists at the moment with our kids. And thinking about things, it's possibly when I'm helping people do stuff, I feel a little bit more significant. So because then it's that, there's the, the side of it's not about what you do for people is about how you make them feel, but equally making people feel good makes you feel good. Mm. So there's a selfish side of it as well. Yeah. That I do seem to be driven by helping other people do the things that they want to be able to do. But that also means I get to do some cool stuff too. And I get to, That's to do it. Yeah, yeah. So you can't you can't go wrong with that. So like the times we've been in mountains together. We'll have to tell the story. 
Yeah, well, you 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 start, <laughs> and I'll tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> so so we decided. Um, I guess in my head I was like, well, you know, weather's good. We'll we'll just go up the mountain and come back down. It's not going to be an issue. The weather was good the day before. The day before, yeah. So um, I didn't think because I mean. We were both really fit. I was really fit. We were we were Ironman ready. Yeah. And we'd done eighty plus hilly, very hilly miles around Snowdonia the day before. Yeah. Then a little bit of a run afterwards to, to see what would happen. We were feeling good. We were due to do Snowdon at a decent pace the following day. And I've been in the mountains quite a lot. So had a bag that had everything that would be required. So, cops kicked me out though. <laughs> I could have been bad grills. Um, I had everything that was required to survive a mountain, no matter what. And I always do have. I've always over prepared or over carried kit. And in this case, it worked because you truly under carried and thought we're going to be out for three hours, four at tops. I'll be okay, and then the weather changed, and the previous day we, I think we both got a little bit sunburned, didn't we, from being out on the bike for so long? Probably, yeah. And then it was North Wales and Snowdon, so you assumed that the sun would last for the weekend, and uh, it didn't. It wasn't even that, you know. It was like it was the top of Snowdon which was the issue. It just, ch- yeah, the weather just changed. Yeah. It was okay until. But even halfway up, because even on the way down. Like, yeah, so we'd had quite a bad, like, I'd pretty much had hypothermia and, and then essentially yeah. took all your clothes and got your bag and managed to dress me in because I wasn't dressed for it. Um, but even on the way down, like, the weather improved quickly, rapidly as we got down. And I'm looking at all these people coming up the mountain, you know, like push chairs and everything else. I'm like, you guys are mad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if they were going, I'm, I'm guessing they weren't going all the way to the top. There's, I think because there's a cafe at the top, <clears> although it wasn't open at that time of year, people assume that it's going to be okay. Mm. And they don't factor in how dangerous mountains can be yeah. or how weather works on mountains. <laughs> and especially, it's not on the coast, but it's not far from the coast. So Snowden, the weather changes just in an instant and mm. it's... Uh, but yeah, it changed. It got very, very cold. I think there was some hail. You it was were, the wet was the problem because it was really high wind. Yeah, uh, we were determined. We had to summit because of the event that we were going to do, and it was part of our mindset training was to summit. But that then put you into a place physically that was quite dangerous. But I'd over prepared, and we were okay. My, my yeah. hands didn't work. I'm sure you were trying to put gloves yeah, put some gloves on you. Yeah, and that's when I thought. Needs mixed in the future. Yeah, uh, and now have some. But I have, yeah, I have now joined the overprepared club. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, because <laughs> there's always somebody to help. There's yeah. always somebody that needs the extra bits. So yeah, that was a an interesting thing. And then we met Fran and, and Swaney and there's uh, was it PT to get some. Yeah, something at the bottom. Yeah, but you, you, you <laughs> we warmed up, but you still look rough. Yeah, so, I'm sure there's a photo somewhere. Yeah. Of, of, um, okay. But I think, yeah, helping people is always part of what I do from my classes with clients, et cetera, et cetera. And um, there's always a part of that, though, that 
if I'm giving out, it's coming back. Even writing my blog posts, it's not from a business point of view. I do it because it gets stuff out of my head. Yeah. And as a result of getting stuff out of my head, it clears my head, but it always there's some nice feedback as well. Yeah. But the point of it is to get the stuff out of my head. I think the thing <clears throat> as well with helping people and the same almost about setting goals, you mentioned something about, about that, you know, what people want to do. So they want, whether they want a nicer car or whatever, the key is where it comes from, the place that it comes from. So it comes from a place of, I want that, then that's not healthy. Yeah. And I also noticed as well, um, a lot of wealthy people, uh, enough is never enough. And if anything you're doing, whether it's, exercising or, or money or whatever it is if if there's never if enough is never enough then it's very unhealthy yeah and then also you're basing your happiness on somebody else yeah rather than you yeah it's, got, it's got a caveat yeah yeah it's well elon musk looks like he's doing okay in business he smiles on camera he must be happy i need to be as rich as elon musk yeah um that's yeah like i said that's not a good way to be i want to be me and be happy being me and there are times when i'm not and i've got processes that i go through mm. to try and help bring me back to who i am and appreciate yeah. what i am and who i am and since we've had kids it's it's changed and i struggled with that because i couldn't do the things that i thought made me me that i had two prime examples in the house that could be who made me me yeah. and helping people and bringing them forwards. So, um, yeah, if you're striving to be a version of somebody else, I think you're never really yeah. going to get that. And you're never going to reach that. And it's then because they're still striving to be more. Yeah. So you'll get to where they are, but they've already moved on. Yeah. So if that's your goal... And goals shouldn't ever really truly be achieved. You should yeah. grow with your goal and think, well, actually, I've, I've achieved that. Now I can move on to that space. But it's evolving, isn't it? It's an, an evolving process, but it should be about you, not about somebody else. So helping people lose weight because they think they'll be happier at a certain size or, yeah. or weight, and that will then help them date when I work with people, it's about we do that as the outset because that's what they think they want, but then we work on the mindset to be who they are. Because that's interesting. Is I've come across this a lot in the past. A lot of people go, well, I need to meet someone to make me happy. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's not attractive to somebody. You need to be happy as you are and then meet someone halfway who's also happy and then, you know, then you can have a, a strong relationship. But if you meet someone and they basically, they're there to make you happy, like that's their role. That They don't actually know that's their role, but yeah. subconsciously that's, you know, that's what you put onto them. Again, that's really unhealthy and doesn't... doesn't yeah, one of my friends out. did a, a TED Talk type thing recently, and he spoke about covert contracts mm. where you've... It was more to do with relationships and, and with your partner that you'll do the dishwasher and think, well, yeah. I'm getting some action later because I've done the dishwasher. 
you haven't said, if I do the dishwasher, do I get this? So it's a contract that you've set in your head and then you're really disappointed if that doesn't happen. Because you haven't communicated it. And you haven't communicated it in the first place. And I think that's what happens. People enter relationships thinking, well, this is going to make me happy. Mm. And it does because all new relationships make you happy. But then if it doesn't, but continue also on that and you're disappointed in the relationship when it's a perfectly good relationship you've just yeah. gone into it with um a covert contract so and, yeah, and it's also the other person like what makes them happy so you know you you doing a dish dishwasher or whatever probably has no effect on them whatsoever um but you may be cooking dinner or you know it'll, it'll be different for every every yeah. person of what actually makes them happy um, and it might be something really small as opposed to cleaning the whole house and everything else. Like they're, they're like, well, you've got to do that anyway. Or, you know, someone yeah. has to do it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's understanding what actually makes them happy and then realizing that by not by making them happy, but by doing little things that, that make, that help, yeah, with, that help, help them. And, support and it's part of the, and they the feel loved and support by your actions. Then that's what, and I think something that I struggle with in my relationship, I like to have a thing that I can do because of, again, wherever we all are on the spectrum, I want, I do this and that's me, that's that ticked off for the day. Yeah. Rather than coming in and think, oh, there's Lego all over the floor. I'll pick that up. In my head, if my job was to pick up Lego, when I've done that, I'll pick that up. But if my job's to do washing up, I see the Lego, I think there's Lego all over the floor. So, but that's part of how my brain works in that way. So I'd then struggle at times to then do like the daily chores, which makes Fran feel supported and appreciated. Yeah. But it's not in my brain, that's not my norm. It's yeah. like, oh look, I better pick that up or I better tidy that up. And I try. And when I try, right, Fran will say then she feels more appreciated. But in my head, it's there. Uh, I need to do, if I do this and then this, and when we discussed this, we were talking about what I could do as part of my quarterly goals. And it was, so shall I take over the washing? Well, that's not what so you very much do the washing. Right. Yeah. So, so the great, and she said, we could do the washing. But then, so I think, well, as long as the washing bin's empty, I'm doing well. But everything else could be a disaster. So that doesn't really work in the, the normal way of it's like walking into a burning building changing the changing the washing or whatever it is and yeah. then walking out again and yeah well, okay. so <laughs> nothing in the washing yeah. um so yeah that's it a, a thing that i struggle with to maintain sort of a, so how, how's the relationship, relationship evolved then over the last because you've been together what 20 yeah just over 20 years yeah. so we've been married 17 years in April um Fran would say that I've just carried on being me and getting on with stuff and then so going into what I wasn't looking for someone to make me happy I was happy Fran like you've just said Fran was happy I think we enhance each other mm-hmm. and that's what you should aim that's for in a relationship yeah. that she allows me to do the stuff and provides the space for me to do the stuff that I want to do which gives me my sort of sense of freedom. And then I feel it would be good if she then took some space herself. But with the 
kids, etc. Although Bran feels like she gets the space that she needs at times, but then when she doesn't, she doesn't always communicate that. Yeah. So, um, and then I get told off. <laughs> uh, so, I think we we started our relationship as friends, <clears throat> and then as a result, remained friends. Mm. And it's been the same way ever since. And what we do have that I see many people struggle with is that we can communicate. Yeah. So if we've got a problem, we don't always have time to communicate. But when we do, we're both really open and honest in our relationship and what's going on. So we can communicate. We're not worried about... Can you give a bit of an example of that? Because everybody says communication is key. But, but how does it actually... How does it actually look? I think for me, it's as I've just described with like the chores thing, it's then Fran saying that that's not what I want. Yeah. There isn't a number you can't have. I've done chore number one, chore number yeah. two, chore number three. I'm done for the day. Yeah. I again finding that the way to find our balance between helps. We have to talk about those things. We've all, I think, communication in the sense that we discuss everything openly from finances, childhood. We've never had any sort of secrets. I've, I've known people that if their phone went off in the car, their partner doesn't know their code yeah. to them. Whereas we've always had it that I do a majority of the driving. So if my phone goes off and it's a text, Fran will open my phone yeah. and answer that text. So, <clears throat> so there's never been any sort of secrecy or anything like that. It's I am who I am. I'm happy for you to see every element of me. So I'm not going to send you a text slagging Fran off. Oh, I would. <laughs> um, but I know that whatever I'm... I've, I've, I, I would quite happily send you a text slagging her off, but in the knowledge that she might read that. Yes. But that's okay, yeah. because that's how I felt at that time. If she then gets pissed off with that, she'll talk to me about it. Yeah. So I think it's one of those things that everyone thinks they communicate, but they don't ever really tell the truth. Yeah, exactly. Whereas I don't think I... I am me. I don't worry about trying to be someone else with friends. Mm. But I don't... I'm not really anyone else with anybody else. In the fitness industry, we have our masks. Yes. And in teaching my Kung Fu students, in the sense that you put on your face entering the room, but only to the sense that you don't want to go in and everyone's there to have an experience. You don't want to go in and make everyone understand that you're just really pissed off. Yeah. And... There are times in my life where things have happened. Like when my dad died, I still went to work. I was still me with my clients. And we've always had, I've got a really good relationship with my clients and always have had where I can say, oh, like, well, my dad died last night mm. and we've discussed it. But then I've been able to compartmentalize that yeah. and I'll, I can deal with that later. And that's not always a good thing, but I can deal with that later. Mm. But let's you're the important person because you're the person in this session and same with the classes and stuff. Um, so we did, there are, there is like a persona, a persona 
in the fitness industry where you put on your face to teach your class and you do that in front of your uh, clients. I mean, to a certain extent I do, but I always allow everyone to know who I am. Yeah. So it's only that you'll, for the next hour, you're getting happy, Darren. If we go for a drink afterwards, you're going to find out there's some shit's happened today, especially when we were going through, like, all of our fertility issues. Yeah. I didn't hide any of that away. I wrote blog posts yeah. about it. Did, I'm sure I did a podcast and did some radio interviews. So all of that's always been out there. So I think part of me being content with who I am is that everybody knows who I am. Yeah. I haven't got to worry about different sides, and especially now with like the Instagram way of live seeing all of your highlights. Everyone's seen all of my everything. I'm not yeah. worried about highlights. My highlights are the cool stuff that I get to do, and quite a lot of that is with clients or with Fran or with friends. So, but part of that, I'm never going to hide away the bad bits. Yeah. And because I, they're not bad, they're just stuff that's happening. And I've I think that's really important because I think when, I think there's a massive thing about when people, um, you, I guess you can call it trauma, you know, and people just keep it all inside them. And, and you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff I've been looking at recently, how that affects your health because you're trapping stuff inside you and you're not, you're not releasing it and you're not, it's almost like, um, you know, someone dying and you're not actually grieving. You're just going, okay, I'll, I'll just put that away and I'll just carry on. I, I know you said that like maybe for an hour or so, but you, yeah. you're still, you're still dealing with that. And that has a, I think that has quite a dramatic pe- effect on people's health, long yeah. term, especially trauma from, from being kids and that sort of thing. I've seen it in like treating people on, uh, for injuries where their emotional attachment to say a back pain because of how the back pain happened or Mm. a head injury that needs to be dealt with before we can deal with the physical side. So they, they're not really going to get over a recurring neck injury because how that neck injury happened, they need to deal with. And it's part of the, the guy that developed the therapy that I do uh, he describes it like the, the limbic system overpowers everything because if you've got an emotional attachment to an injury, you're going to have a weakness there and your body will hold on to it. And one of those things is about being a victim. So if you're a victim of, about something, then then that's... Yeah. And, and not... A lot of the time, but not always, yeah. it's about that that happened to me but it's happened to me. My coach is going through a thing that that happened for me and he's going through a a phase of that type of thing. Uh, I'm not quite there yet. I've had as many injuries as you, possibly more than you. Um, I haven't really got attached to those injuries. They're just things that I've done while pursuing the things that I'm doing. Yeah. And uh, and maybe I'm just really shallow. (laughs) I'm not content. Whatever works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just happy being. Tell us a little bit about your background because you've mentioned that, but you haven't really. I know we should have probably done that at the beginning, but yeah. You know. So, I've been in the the fitness industry since 1996. Um, I started the martial art that I train in and teach now in 19. 18- 88 <laughs> um 
so I've done martial arts for a majority, I think I was 15 when I started. I'd done little bits and bobs prior to that. Uh, being a, in the martial arts world, we were doing competitive points fighting. And as a result of that, I wanted to be fitter, I wanted to be stronger, I wanted to be better on the mat. Um, talent, and you told me so far. Um, the, which one of my friends was doing a sports science degree. So I visited her quite often and would question then her friends who were doing sports science degrees regarding what I could do to be better, faster, what we yeah. could do as a, a club, how we could improve to the extent that I ended up doing a sports science degree and then went into the physiology, the biomechanics of everything and really enjoyed that then. And again, I didn't strive to be a personal trainer or a fitness instructor or I, while I was on my degree, I ended up doing a lifeguarding uh, thing to get some money in. So I was lifeguarding for a little while. Then one of my friends or one of our mutual friends, Alvin, said that a new gym was opening in Coventry and they needed lifeguards. So I went along and was a lifeguard over that summer and then at weekends when I was finishing my degree off and then came back and I ended up uh, being on the pool side when I came back from my degree and they had a, a gym instructor role open and my degree was in sports science so it, it sort of made sense to go into there and I was doing a bit of that and a bit of lifeguarding as well but then I realised that I was helping the fitness trainers more than I was people because I was Actual clients. Uh, improving knowledge on physiology, biomechanics, we would, I wrote a manual on how to use all the gym equipment. Um, one of my uh, colleagues was going away for a while, so I looked after his PT clients. I had some time to take off because I hadn't and um, looked after his PT clients and then he moved on to another role so I took on those PT clients but gained my own and then sort of fell into personal training as a result as a result of that ended up working more with people who had injuries and postural problems because of my background in biomechanics and understanding how, how that worked that led me into working with a team of physios and doing their exercise side of things, which their Rehabilitation. And some more, yeah, rehabilitation and corrective and prehabilitation. Well, I think we're probably part of the first group of people that started doing that. Uh, then I took over the personal training team and we were doing stuff and had uh, one of the most successful clubs of the chain in the country. So I was helping out and um, advising on how to run that. At the same time, then I started teaching martial arts at that at club and took that more seriously and developed that side of things as well. And then it just sort of moved on from there and then infrastructures change and uh, I moved on and then we broke away from the club. I think 14 years ago, 14 years at Christmas, and set up the first sort of group fitness boot camp type things in Coventry. Uh, 
work in personal training and then and you're still doing your martial arts training still teaching kung fu and still doing that now and then the corrective exercise side of things moved into the person that i respected that we were i was working closely with from a hands-on physiotherapy point of view stop treating normal people and work specifically with athletes and i didn't find somebody with the same work ethic so i started doing more hands-on stuff myself and that sort of led down so i'm pretty much an injury therapist who has some personal training side and boot camp and boot fitness and martial arts side so it I've got lots of different roles and then mindset coaching. So it's all just sort of, I haven't strived to, I'm going to be an injury therapist. Yeah. It's my interest took me that way, but I've maintained the other bits of my life. Also and quite strong nutrition is a big yeah. part of that. And I wrote a nutrition book in 2012. Wow. Uh, and that's always been part of where we were. And when we wrote the nutrition book and, and, try and help me with it it was during our fertility struggles so everything was more to do with eating a, as clean a diet as possible making yeah. it all as natural and wholesome as possible it's still the same but with a lot more forgiveness yeah because everyone was like this is really hard to do when you've got kids i was like no it's not don't be stupid you're just blaming the kids for you for doing this and then our kids moved in <laughs> And then it was like, okay, I see where they're coming from. And it and it, it does it adds a different element, especially I'm not gonna blame the fact that they're adopted, but when they arrive with issues around food, they're the least of our battles. Yeah. We have to they're, they're if they eat that, then that's okay. We'll we'll, we'll move on to that in the future. I found with food about, you know, trying to eat clean and everything else is that you get to a point where it creates stress to try and eat as clean as possible. When it was just the two of us and we could prepare everything and we yeah. had all the time in the world, it was it was easy and I never yeah. understood that. I never prioritised food, so but that's, a lot, that's another story. Um, so we're going to continue our chat with Darren in episode two of the Success and Happiness podcast.